to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about designing games. Well, amateur game designers anyway. This topic has entire books, college courses, podcasts, and more dedicated to it, so we're probably not going to do it justice. But we will talk about our experiences with game design and perhaps provide some interesting insights and pointers if this has been something you've been thinking about doing. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and welcome to our newest patron, Leanne Verhurst. Verhulst. Sorry, Leanne. There you go. I will get it. (laughs) And thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Uh, Okay, I need to start with an email. I know this listener's email is supposed to be at the end. But as I was checking over our email just before we started, this email literally just came in. And it's more of a correction. So um, Abby sent me a correction saying that Twilight Struggle is not is a game about the Cold War US versus USSR. World War II was pretty much nothing to do with it. So I think I um, was saying Twilight Struggle was World War II. She uh, does point out that I, I not playing the game is... Yeah, I should probably get the right war in there first. You're playing the wrong game, Chris. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> it's happening. <sighs> that was Axis and Allies. <laughs> well, I have Axis and Allies with zombies, and I want to play that one because that's supposed to be kind of fun. So. All right. We just got back from watching Detective Pikachu, and I have to say I recommend that everyone go watch it. It's funny. It looked really, really fun. Yeah. Hmm. If you have any kind of Pokemon nostalgia, and that means that you just knew what Pokemon was when you were growing up, you're going to appreciate this movie. It's it's just pretty good. It's just pretty good. It's just pretty good. <laughs> in, in the best possible pretty good way. But Raves it's... Chris Steele. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was all right. <laughs> one, one eyebrow raised way, way up. <laughs> So my mother is staying with us for like six weeks, and I had to explain what Rotten Tomatoes was. She's like, wait a minute. What do you mean? So it was 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that a good thing? That sounds like a bad thing. I'm like, well, not really. It is counterintuitive. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm like, I've never really thought about that. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, it's because it's 97% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. It's the tomato meter. Right. Did you see that they changed the way they're doing the tomato meter? Where, no. well, the tomato meter is always the same. It's it's going to be, um, it's still just the critics. But the fan rating, because there's so much like controversy in the comments, your rating only counts if Fandango can verify that you had a ticket. Otherwise, oh. your rating doesn't count against the fan rating. So you can't get a bunch of people going in and like hating on movies they didn't watch just to bring the movie down or the rating down. So you have to actually go out and buy a ticket if you want to do that now. So it's like the verified purchase tag on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. So, and that is all about board games. I mean, movie reviews. So yeah. let's, let's join us <laughs> next week for more movie reviews on the Flop House. Dun dun dun. So, oh, and stick around. If game design is not your thing, stick around till the end of the show because I have an update on our Gen Con event, and I'm going to yeah. wait till the end of the show because I think some people are like game design. I don't listen to you for game design things. I could listen to Ludology if I wanted to listen to game design, and I say to you. This is why we do random topics, and it's, you know, fun. <laughs> Fletcher, did you even know that we were doing game design this week? Because I sort of pulled it out of my hat No, I didn't. <laughs> but but I that's was, okay. I'm going to start with you. Have you ever wanted to design a game, or have you ever designed a game? I have definitely wanted to. I have never tried to design a board game. I mean, I might have when I was younger, like a kid or something. 
Um, I've tried to design video games before, which are somewhat similar. You would be surprised how similar. Yeah. So where did you stop there? Like, I want to do this game, and why didn't you? Um, so for, if we're talking about video games, this is how at least I got inter- first interested in programming. So that was kind of like my gateway into computer science. Um, and it basically started, it, it's a really long story, and I, Chris, you know, like little bits and pieces of it. But essentially, um, we went so far, I had a co-founder, and we went so far to actually start a company in Illinois um, because he was super gung-ho about it. And he, we tried to like, I wanted to do something very simple, like some kind of a puzzle game. He wanted to go full on and do like a full uh, like RPG almost. And this was an iOS game. Um, and Which is a common be, rookie yeah. mistake. Yes. Your first game out of the gate is going to be this massive major, major super game. So right. continue. And I was like, no, let's do a puzzle game or something very simple because, I mean, I was pretty new at programming and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, let's just try to do something. And then he left his job to like focus solely on this. Ouch. And he wanted me to leave my job to focus on it. And I was like, I can't do that. I just got a job doing, you know, designing iOS apps, and I'm not going to leave it for, like, this potential pipe dream. But we actually started a company. He went on to do a Kickstarter, which did get funded, but he never shipped. <laughs> and so funded for the iOS game. Funded for the iOS game, yeah. And it was uh, it was going to be made using, um, uh, what's it cross-platform? Uh, Unity. Yep. U- using the Unity engine. And that's how I started learning C Sharp. Yeah. So for those who don't, iOS is fairly ambiguous, but it's uh, synonymous with the uh, iPhone. So yeah. iOS, iPhone, basically iPhone game. Um, Unity is a kind of a, it, it's a game development tool to make it as vague as possible that allows you to write games for multiple different platforms at once. So you could use it to write an uh, iPhone game and an Android game, and you only have to write the game once the tool takes care of it running on both systems. So I wanted to do some kind of like simple puzzle game or some kind of asynchronous two player game. Um, and we kind of bat around an idea for like an asynchronous two player game that was like grids on a board that you would have to move these pieces around kind of like an, an interesting twist on chess, but it never really got further than that. Yeah, I have. I mean, as you were talking, I, I have like a half a dozen stories just like that. And <laughs> other games that I remember doing, there was one asynchronous game I wanted to do, um, which involved basically speed trivia or speed mini games, really not trivia, but mini games. So if you're familiar with WarioWare, which is a bunch of mini games oh, yes. on, the, on the Game Boy, it, it would be that concept where you would choose you know, your favorite three mini games and you would play them and then your opponent would also choose three, but they'd have to play your three. So you would then compete and whoever had the lowest scores, but you played at different times. And I, that one, I got pretty far on my own. I did publish one game um, on iPhone called Valet Hero. Valet is in parking cars. And this was a game where you would basically, you'd Cars would pull into a parking lot. They'd be different colors. You'd want to park them in the right colored space. If you backed into the spot, you got bonus points. If you pulled through the spot so you could drive out the other side, you got bonus points. Um, there were multiple levels. And that one we did pretty good on. I had uh, one other programmer friend and one artist friend that did the mass 
of the the majority of the work. It was a five person company and everyone was part time except for me. And we created the LLC and and all that. But we ended up making about a hundred grand off that game over the first year uh, off of just ads. And wow. we're like, all right, that's pretty successful. Although not enough to pay five people, so we'll just keep our day jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. You walk away with twenty grand over over the year, and it's like, yeah, that, I still need to work. Yeah. 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 Now, it did only take us three months to make, so that's still not too bad, but it's not good enough, and it's not consistent enough where right. it was something that we were ready to be like, okay, let's let's just do this full time. So, and then I had a brief stint of wanting to change the company to do board game ports, and I was actually going to do Summoner Wars, which is the game that started Plat Hat Games. I we got about halfway through with that game before we weren't able to complete it. And then they went off with another company that did a great job with it. Um, but yeah, I was actually working on the Summoner Wars mobile port before anyone even knew what Summoner Wars was. And because I was, I talked to, um, oh, why is his name escaping me? The, the designer of Summoner Wars and founder of Plat Hat. Um, but I was talking to him at the, his first Origins. And I'm like, you know, this is amazing. I'm doing this. I have this mobile game company. I think this should be a mobile game. And so we set something up, but it didn't wasn't able to be completed. Totally my fault. I was trying to actually work during the day and do this at night. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. What about you, Kitty? What is your game design history? I like to come up with ideas. And that's about as far as I got for a long time. I'd be like, well, this should be a game. Mm, Okay. Um, And that was it. And now I have one idea I've been working on for quite some time that I've got almost playtestable that has been really fun to do. It's really fun. Um, I have been chatting Chris and Spencer to death about this. So get ready, Fletcher, because now you're going to have to hear about it, too. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> well, it's also one of those things where I just hear bits and pieces. So I actually don't know how this game plays anymore because it's just a bunch of ideas that have been bounced off of me. And I don't know what has stuck on the other side. Yeah. Um, and it keeps changing. And, you know, I love my husband very much, but I think his idea of what is a fun game and my idea and a lot of the rest of the world's idea <laughs> is a little different sometimes. Um, so, but it's really good to have somebody who, you know, is on the opposite side to listen to those ideas. Yeah. Well, I, so I've mentioned my history a little bit, but I grew up from the time I touched my first computer and at that same time played my first computer game. I knew that that's what I wanted to do in my career. I, I was going to grow up and write video games. And this was in the kind of early 80s, where people would ask us, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to write video games. It's like, okay, but what are you really going to do when you grow up? Because nobody no thought of can it. make makes money doing that. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then once I got to uh, college, I was told, you know, oh, what are you going to do after college? I'm going to write video games. Oh, yeah, well, you gotta, you're going to have to work like 10 years in a normal job before they're going to be able to hire you in, in video game work. I'm like... No, I'm just going to go and and write video games. So there was no video game, like major or anything. And really, I just wanted to design games. But I figured if I was going to get a job in game design, I better know how to do a skill that's actually kind of hard. So I, you know, emphasized everything in programming is the most complicated stuff I could do. I have a minor in math and engineering. So I figured that would help as well. And when I graduated college, I got two job interviews, both with game companies, got two offers, and then I spent the next 
almost 15 years writing video games with a brief stint of some database work in there because I accidentally developed a database engine for NFL Blitz Pro, which was a like for fantasy for the fantasy football league type of thing. But um, I eventually got out of video games because it's just too much work. Like you, you don't have a life. You just, you code and you live it. And then I was kind of out of games for a while before then I got back into games through Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition. And then I found board games from there, but I, I am never not designing a game in my head. Like I have like uh, iOS notes, iPhone notes, I have probably 50 note that are just designated to, oh, a game has just popped into my head and now I must write down everything about that just to get it out of my head and then I move on. I rarely go back to it, but if I wanted to, I could. And I have a few that are like stewing around. I have one that I took all the way to prototype and it's actually pretty good. There's just one kind of aspect to it that it's not quite, I haven't solved it yet, but it's been two years since I've looked at it. So I should probably... Pull it out and play it. We should, yeah, bring it back out. Yep. This is the one I played, right? uh, This is the the elemental one where you're moving from, yeah. Across the board and discovery, yeah. Yep. Which I really, I do like that game. And it actually came from a game idea I had for the iPhone. And I just turned it into a board game, which worked out pretty well. Like I say, there's just one, it's how you reset your hand that I'm just not really happy with. And... Mm -hmm. Once I solve that, it'll play two to six players pretty easily. And I don't know, like I said, it's pretty fun. So, Ludal, why, why this topic and why now? And just a quick thing. We talked a couple weeks ago about board game media. And Ludology is a board game design podcast. And they just hit their 200th episode. So, Jeff Engelstein, who's been on the podcast, I believe, for most of those episodes. Not all, but most. Uh, is leaving. And it just made me think, like, they were t- had a bunch of people on talking about game design and stuff like that. It made me think about, it. I want to talk about this, too. So that's why we're talking about it. And we might, I think we're going to make this a two-parter. Um, but the oh. next part, <laughs> <laughs> well, so this episode, we're going to talk about essentially just game design. Why, why design a game? What are the problems of designing a game? What stops people from actually bringing a game to fruition? Although there's so many games now that it seems like everybody is making a game. Oh, I have an idea. I'll put it on Kickstarter and then sell a game. It's not that easy. Really, really, really not that easy. But what what is involved if you wanted to do it? Because I think a lot of people think they want to do it. And then once you start getting to the details, like that massive role-playing game, you know, yeah. it's there's just too much there. And you and you can't possibly take that on all yourselves. Um, you know, Isaac Children's he children? Uh, Isaac from Childress, okay, from Gloomhaven. I think, I think so too. <laughs> he basically did Gloomhaven all by himself, like, but that was just a massive undertaking, and there's a reason why he deserves so much credit for creating one of the best games ever made. But that's all he did, like, that's what he was focused on. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and when I say that's all he did, I mean he designed several games before that. Uh, published one, it did not do well. And then his next one went to number one on BGG. But game design is something that you have to keep doing and keep practicing at. And you don't just pull Gloomhaven out of nowhere. So if you want to develop a game, great. Don't do Gloomhaven as your first game. Do Azul. Or even if you have an idea like Gloomhaven, don't put all of your like thought and effort into just that one idea. I think that that's something that all of us have kind of mentioned in this process is, you know, 
you don't come up with my, this is my only idea. You come up with ideas all the time. Like the littlest things can become an idea for a game. You're playing a game. Oh, I wish it worked differently. This is how I would make this work. Oh, how fun would this mechanic work with this theme? You know, those kind of ideas just come to you all the time. You write them down, you move on. Sometimes you put more thought into it and it develops and, you know, you don't focus all of your energy on like, this is my baby until, you know, further into all of these thoughts. Yeah. Well, and we talked about house rules and stuff too. That is the first stages of game design. Actually, I'm going to say that is the second stage of game design. The first (laughs) stage of game design is you are three years old and you're making up rules to a game as you're playing. Everybody starts out a game designer. Like, I don't know any toddler age child that isn't inventing games all the time as they play. And I think we lose that, but it's it's Player there. Three it's in already our is there. He has this great game he likes to play where he picks up all of the coasters in our house and he brings them and randomly distributes around the room and you have to say thank you or he steals it back from you. It gets very <laughs> angry. <laughs> so it's like a social it's a social dexterity game. Yep. Yep. So I like I say, and I think that might be one of the reasons that more people don't try to design games. I think as we get older, we think of game design as, and not not necessarily people in our hobby, but people outside of our hobby is like playing games and especially designing games. Like, why would you do that? You know, what is, there's nothing, you know, why? Why would you want to do something like that? I mean, if you don't play games, it would never occur to you to design a game. It's just like, it's not even how like that works. I think that that might be, you know, first step is, you know, making up rules how you play as a kid. Um, But I think, you know, the real first step to designing the game is playing games. I think that if you're not playing games, you're not seeing what's out there, you're not getting inspired. You're, you know, you can't design in a vacuum. I think this is the same. I notice this a lot with um, authors. Authors are the biggest readers I know. And you have to be reading to want to come up with new ideas to like see where you want to go. And I had, um, I was actually at a panel one time with a really popular author who was saying, you know, she wrote all these books and she stopped reading because she didn't want to be accused of plagiarism. She didn't want other people's ideas in her head while she was writing. So she kind of like gave up on reading, you know, fiction. And she was talking to her publisher. She's like, you know, I just, I think I'm running out of ideas. I don't have any. And her publisher was like, you need to start reading again. And when she got back into reading, she's like, suddenly I had all new ideas again. It was like, something that opened up to me. And it's the same for me with board games is when I'm playing somebody else's games, I see the ideas that went into it. I see what they did and it inspires me and gives me my own ideas of like, sometimes if it's a bad game, like how can I fix this? How can I make it better? Or if it's a really good game, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love how they did this. How would I do this with something? And it, it can really feed back into itself, playing and designing or yeah. and really you tied have, together. Yep. And you have to do that because, well, And I will say that some people write books without reading, because I don't need to read a bunch of books. I know how to write, and I'm going to tell this story. And those books tend not to be good. And Mm -hmm. some people will design (laughs) games (laughs) without ever playing other games. And it's they could be good games. I mean, the first people who designed games, they didn't 
well, they probably did play other games. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't interviewed games them. Games have but... existed. Did you listen to our episode on ancient yes, games, Chris? I know. That's what I was saying. It's, like, uh, it's hard to tell because <laughs> you've probably played games. But there are people out there just like, oh, yeah, I didn't even know the board game industry existed when I designed this particular game. I just knew about the stuff that I played, you know, Monopoly, you know, those types of games when I was younger. And when I discovered the board game industry, I'm like, oh... And one of the cool, well, I don't know if it's cool, but interesting things about the uh, Ludology episode was, I believe almost all of them were aspiring video game designers that ended up doing board <laughs> games. Some of them started doing video games first and then moved to board games. Some decided that they should do board games so that they could do video games and then just stayed in board games. And so that's why I say that there's game design is game design. And there's a lot of crossover there. And board game design is a little bit more accessible because it's more of a craft, and by, I mean it's like a crafting hobby to yeah. create a board game versus a, I need to learn how to program to create a video game. I basically game. have to go to college, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The, the barrier to entry is a little bit easier on the board game side, but I don't think that's just to create the prototypes, to create the games, to design the games, there's not much difference between them. And the video games can get far more complicated. But then again, so I've seen a lot of complicated board games. And I'm like, this should not be this. Yeah. You know, you're really coming up with the same, you know, you need a set of rules. You need to know how it works. You need to, you know, know where pieces are going and how things fit. It. I see the, where the crossover, it's, you know, just take out the coding. Yeah. So I want to emphasize something that Fletcher um pointed out at the beginning, the simple puzzle game versus the complex omnibus, 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 it's an omnibus, like your, your opus, maybe your opus game, magnum opus. I don't know. These are words that I think. Just keep saying things. You're on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. (laughs) Your war and peace versus, you know, your first reader's digest piece, short story versus, I don't know. Well, I guess war and peace. We're going to say game of thrones which will never get finished because seriously. <laughs> that might be more apt than you think. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're biting off this huge chunk of everything and it's just, it's impractical to start there. So Fletcher, what was your idea? Did you, did you have a mind, a puzzle in mind that you wanted to do? I didn't have a specific puzzle game in mind first, but I, I was, I was more down the path of like, let's do a puzzle game first because i i was thinking of something that might be kind of like a i think the idea i had was almost this was before um monument valley um but it was it was along the ideas of monument valley where you had you would have to like rotate something to like put pieces in the correct way and it was all about kind of like perspective um but that was like the idea that i was kind of going with i think i it was not really any more fleshed out than that and then we had a, a little bit more fleshed out idea for like the two player asynchronous game. Um, but he wanted to go charging ahead with like a <laughs> big RPG kind of, not a big RPG, but just like an RPG, like a, f- a 3D RPG game on a phone. And I was just like, man, like I, this, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I did not want to start with that. <laughs> I have been programming for over 30 years and I still do not want to take on the graphical challenge of making something look like, oh, wow, stunning type of thing. I want to focus on gameplay. 
And if I was going to do an RPG at all, and I've thought about it, and as soon as I started thinking further about it, I said, nope, not going to happen. But if I were, Mm -hmm. it would be a 2D RPG. And making sure the core of the game was fun to play, regardless of graphics. And if then it was really, really good, then I could go and say, all right, well, now let's put a major 3D graphics engine on this, because we have all the gameplay, and now we can spend the time, because we know what we have is worth spending the time on. I think the same thing applies to board games, where people will focus on the components before they focus on the game. Like, I want to create this super cool miniatures game, and it's going to work like this and this and this. It's like, okay, you've described all the components to me, but where is the game? What makes this game something I want to play? Also, is it fun? Yes. (laughs) It's easy to, it's easy to, um, for me, I want to, to do something simple for like two reasons. Like one, because it was more within my grasp and like what I feel like we could accomplish. And two, it's, it's easier to be like, Oh, this part of the game isn't fun. This isn't fun. Let's change this. We can tweak this part to make it more fun. But if you go down this big long path of like an RPG without like really doing anything, you, it might not be fun when it's all done. That's not the point of playing games. And it's hard to come up with something that's going to be fun because you don't know. Like, I have this cool mechanism. I, I know what I want to do. And it's it sounds really neat. Actually, so just to put a, a few of these things in concept, there's a game that I've been kind of toying around with for a while now. And I'll try to describe it in 60 seconds or less. <laughs> but essentially, it is a Euro game that um, is you are in, uh, in control of a party of fantasy adventurers. So just think D&D-esque things. But the fantasy adventurers that you're controlling is more or less a tableau that you're building. So you're recruiting wizards, you're recruiting rogues, you're recruiting different adventurers. And that's building your tableau, which gives you workers that can then take actions. And those workers are of a particular class and, and level. And when they take a particular action, based on their class and level, that action will have varying effects. The world itself is generated by, there's a central city, and then you have four random region cards you draw, and each region has four random dungeons that you go to. And so the idea is that you are going to be, a, you know, you start out at the center town, you want to level up your your group by basically recruiting people, doing odd jobs, which are taking actions. So you can eventually go out to these outer regions where the big payoffs are, and then you're going to, you know, go into the dungeons and and get the biggest payoffs. In my head... This sounds like a cool idea. In practice, the thing, the reason I haven't actually put it into play yet is when you're doing that kind of thing, you need some kind of skill resolution or event resolution. And I want it to be not a, I'm going to try to do this and roll to see if it succeeds. I want it to be more of a, I have these actions I can take. And when I take them, I know that a certain benefit is going to happen. The The range of benefit can vary a little bit, but I know that I'm going to actually be able to do it. And in my head, as I go through it, I'm like, I don't know if this is fun because what's ended <laughs> up happening is I'm basically just saying, okay, here's all these choices you can make. You know what's going to happen. And is it a compelling thing to make those choices? So in my head, that is what I'm constantly doing. Until I think I have something that's actually fun, I'm not going to build a prototype for it because... It doesn't feel fun in my head even yet. So I think once I get it on paper, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, this is just a math problem. It's an optimization problem. I'm missing something here. And Katie, I think you're in kind of a similar situation where you've been thinking about this forever, but you haven't created a prototype yet. So I am, I 
I pretty much have a a proto prototype <laughs> um, that <laughs> Do you I've have got a rule just, book. I have a rule document. I have a um, kind of hand drawn board. I'm trying to come up with a nicer word <laughs> than I wanted to say to describe my my board. Um, and I have, you know, a document that is, if I printed this and put it on cardstock, you could almost have a playtestable version of my game. But I keep changing my mind and going back and re-editing everything. And that's the phase where I am. And I basically, so the game that I am working on is a space madness space madness themed game and i kind of am at this place now where i'm trying to decide if i want to make it more of a campaign scenario laid out format or if i want to have it be a random setup um for each game or if i want to try to combine those elements so it can be played either way and that's kind of tricky figuring out what I want it to be. And I think they're both fun ideas, but I think trying to decide all of that up front is just like too much. And I just need to get something to play to see if it's even working. <laughs> and that and that is the moral I think of of both of this is if you're really serious about designing a game, you need to get to the prototype stage as fast as possible. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, even if you're just testing one mechanism, I just, mm-hmm. you need to get it out there as fast as possible so you can start playing it and say, yes, I like this or no, I don't. And then you can iterate on that. And yeah, with, with the, uh, with the asynchronous two player game that I was coming up with, um, even though it was going to be a game for the iPhone, we laid out a grid on paper and we used coins and other things to come up with like how the movement would work. And then we try to play a, you know, a very prototype version of the game to see if it was any fun. Spoiler alert. No, it wasn't that fun. We went through a couple iterations and, uh, you know, and we improved upon it a little bit, but it, it wasn't that fun, which is it was more tedious. Yes. And, and that is the thing, especially. So I come from a very mathy, logical background and, when I start doing game design, I oftentimes will come up with very balanced things right out of the gate, which is another thing that almost every seasoned game designer will tell you, never worry about balance up front. Balance is the last 10% of the game. And if you're worrying about balance up front, you you, you haven't designed a game yet. You're just, you know, you're, you're sliding numbers around. But it's still easy to get into that where I think this is fun or I think this this is interesting. It's an interesting mecha- mechanism to say, okay, I have a wizard of level two. So when I put that wizard pawn on this action, it's going to be able to use it twice because wizards are good at, at researching or whatever the case is. So I'm like, okay. And in my head, this all makes sense. But does it make too much sense where, okay, sure, you can do that. But then if I put a wizard level one there or I end up putting a rogue there and the action's not as optimal, is it going to feel bad? Is it not going to be fun unless I have exactly what I need? And if I only have one logical decision to do there, is it just a logic puzzle at that point? And it, it, it's not fun. Hey, don't knock logic puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> I like logic puzzles, but they're their own thing. Yeah. Right. So, and I think dice and cards and randomness help pretty much yep. every game not every game, but most games should have some element of randomness in there. And it's 
It just makes it easier for the designer more than anything else. It's hard to design something like a Santorini that is, you know, a fully open information game, but it's still also really, really fun to play. But you have to... So so the random elements are important, but when do you put those random elements? And we've talked about Euro games and American games where Euro games, it's a random setup, and then what you do is going to be decided. But with American games, it's you're going to decide to do something, and then you roll to resolve to see if you're able to do it or not. And that second one is really, really easy to design a lot of games around, but I don't like it so much. So I'm trying to apply the Euro-y side to things. It, yeah. And I've designed several games that have been published. And I still have that same issue where it's I'm always thinking, it's like, eh, it just doesn't feel epic. Which I guess is the other side of things. Epic? Do you are so Kitty, your game. Do you see this as something that you're just designing for yourself? Do you see this as something that you're designing because you want to play it? Or is this something that you're like, you know something? I think a ton of people would want to play this. And if I get this out there, people are going to want to buy it. I'm going to sell 20,000 copies. No, I don't think that. Um, I'm definitely more on the, I think I want to play it is where I am. Is I think that this sounds like a fun game to play for me. So I'm making a game for myself. <laughs> um. And if maybe in the future, you know, it seemed fun for other people, if I can get it out there, um, then yeah, maybe I would want to sell it to other people. But for now, it's more of a passion project. It's a passion project. I think it's fun. It's, it's not just fun to play. It's a fun thought puzzle for me to keep doing. I honestly started this project when I was pregnant because I was up at night all the time. (laughs) You don't sleep. It is just the worst. And so I would think it was it was a fun thing to think about that would keep my mind occupied. And so I wasn't counting my husband and the dog's snores as I could not sleep and took nine hours to try to turn over from my left side to my right side. Um, So, you know, it's a fun thing to do. And it was really easy to be able to sit and do these things, you know, because I was at home, I had the time to do it during the day, I would have the like ideas at night, and then I'd wake up and work on it in the morning. And then, you know, take a two hour nap, because I hadn't slept actually all night. (laughs) And then I actually had a baby. And it turns out that now I don't have free time to work on these things all the time. (laughs) No, they get there more work on the outside. So much more work on the outside. And it was still a lot of work when he was on the inside, to be (laughs) honest. So I don't know, I don't want to discourage anybody. But I've designed and published on the computer side about, I mean, if I was to count actual individual cartridges, probably close to 20 games. If I count individual types of games, we're probably closer to like eight or nine or so. Never have I finished designing and completing a game that I ever wanted to play again. (laughs) (laughs) The art of designing a game, the act of doing that is immensely satisfying. But once I've done it, I never want to go and and revisit it. I think that has something to do with your, like the way you play games too. Like look at your game collection. That's a you thing. Maybe. And, and it's entirely and maybe possible. maybe it is that, you know, because you have this background in game design and you've done this so much, that that's how you enjoy games still is you go and you'll sometimes say like you don't even play a game you'll just read the rule book and you've got your enjoyment out of it and you know that's that's a you thing <laughs> and and i agree it's a hundred percent possible that 
this is just a me thing. No one else is going to ever like, well, maybe not no one else. I wouldn't say no but, one else. But most I'm sure people, there are other weirdos out there like you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's just for me, once I'm through that design process and I've been doing it so much, I've already played the game so much that yeah. it's, I've kind of played it out. Um, I don't, and that's with computer games. And with computer games, you can iterate over them over and over and over and over and over and over. Board games, I think, takes a little bit longer to play. And Mm -hmm. so that is a litmus test for myself. If I'm designing a board game or any game, really, and I'm not interested in playing it again after, you know, a dozen plays, I'm like, all right, maybe there's not enough fun here to, if it can't keep me coming back and being interested in making the game, maybe it's not fun enough to actually follow through to the end. I think this can be different, though, for board games versus uh, computer games in that most computer games are solo experiences. So once you've thought through all the logic, you've played it a bunch of times, you've gone through everything, you know, you've had that solo experience as many ways as you can. Whereas with a board game, you're bringing other people to the table and, you know, you're going to have a different experience with the people at the table much more so than you will have with a video game yeah well and i also get to introduce it to new people which is that's one of the things so i was working on the elementals game that one every time i showed it to someone new that gave me another boost of okay that people seem to like this i should you know keep iterating on it keep doing this yeah so and that that's what take me took me to the prototype stage of it and actually that was that game was something that was kind of stewing for a while and once i decided to do it it was created in an evening. The rules, the cards, the, you know, how everything worked was basically the core was done in an evening. And I did that as an exercise to say, I want to create a game prototype. I'm going to pick one of my ideas. I'm going to pick the easiest one to get to prototype. And I'm going to prototype it. And that is why that game kept coming around for a good six months after that, because I had a prototype that I was able to show to people. And without that, it's just an idea in your head. If you're someone who says, I have an idea for a game, great. Don't tell anyone about it because nobody cares. (laughs) Well, you can tell me and Chris. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, speaking of, and Joe, this is a terrible segue, but Joe, we only got one bit of input on this because I feel our listeners would rather play games than design them. But Joe says he has spent, well, and this is not... Most of this is paraphrased, but he says he spent a long time thinking about a baseball-themed game with Steffenfeld-level Euro mechanics. But, and I quote, I think a Euro-themed baseball game could work, but man, I love, I have come up with and dismissed so many ideas. He says he's created, (laughs) yeah, he says he hasn't created a prototype yet, but has lots of ideas. So he goes on to say that just the act of thinking about game design, though, has made him pay more attention to the mechanisms of other games and has given him a greater appreciation for what game designers do. So my recommendation to Joe and anyone who's serious about creating a game, and serious doesn't mean serious about publishing a game, creating a game and publishing a game, very, very different things, um, is make that prototype. I think a Euro-style baseball game sounds very compelling. And whether or not baseball is a, you know, everyone wants to flock to it theme in board games doesn't matter. If you create a, a game that you love and believe in, it can, it can work. And I think baseball is a great theme because it's already such a fiddly game in life. It works <laughs> yes. so well with like the Euro style game. It's like, oh man, how can we come up with a mechanism to feel like all these bazillion of weird fringe case rules that baseball already has built in? So 
I, you know, I think that sure, you know, it would have to have like good art and design to draw you in. Cause I think, you know, it could come across looking as very like blah, sportsy or it could like look like, I don't know. I'm imagining a very fun, like league of their own style, forties vintage looking baseball game, which would be great. <laughs> All right. So you say art and design, I believe you mean art and graphic design. Yes. Okay. Let's I thought I ta- said graphic design, but yes. Yeah. Just <laughs> let's talk very briefly about that because there are two major skill sets in designing a game. One is actually designing the game, and uh-huh. one is putting a visual look on top of that game. Mm-hmm. They are different skill sets for almost everybody, except for possibly Ryan Lockett. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but most people cannot do both of those things. In my experience. I do think, though, it's part of the designer's job to kind of curate that look. Sure. There should be input there. And what I have found to be the most successful, whether it be computer game or not, is working with an artist. I have the design side of things. I need the creative side of things. And you can feed off of those. So artists will feed off of the design and the design will feed off the art. So you can work that back and forth. However... Every major publisher, almost, almost every major publisher will tell a budding game designer, do not worry about art. We're just going to throw it all away anyway. Come to us with a good game design. We have artists that are going to do the art pass. That's not everyone, but most major publishers are going to be that way. If you're doing a Kickstarter, you're doing your own project, find an artist. There's a ton of artist sites that you can go to. And that's actually what we're going to talk about next week is Mm -hmm. if you did have a prototype or game design, you wanted to get to prototype, how would you do that? Where would you go about doing that? And don't worry, again, for those of you who are not interested in this topic at all, um, we're also going to cover how to trick out your games next week with aftermarket parts and such. So it's it's sort of a, it's a twofer. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think getting to that prototype stage is super important. And Joe, I think if you did do this, just pick any of your ideas, print it out, write up, you know, get a board on out there. Start writing a rule book. Yep. That's number one thing that made me feel like I went from, oh, I have ideas about designing games to, I feel like I have put like design into a game. Like I have done something now towards that end. And that is writing the rule book is really step one. Yep. I have a deck of, well, I have more than a deck. I have a ton of blank cards and you can get these off of Amazon if you just search for blank, blank playing cards. And I just have a ton of them. So if I need to make cards, I can pull them out and I can write on it. You can also just use a post-it note on top of a magic card in a card sleeve. sleeve. You know, if you need to make cards, just you can do it on the cheap. There's a lot of easy ways to do that. But once you start playing the game, you're going to decide whether or not this is, it feels good or not. And instead of just dismissing a mechanic outright because you haven't tried it yet or mechanism, they're synonymous as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, (laughs) um, instead of dismissing it outright, you can dismiss it because it wasn't fun. Or you can tweak it because you're like, okay, it wasn't fun, but this is why. And if we modify this, great. And most importantly, you get it in front of other people who can start giving you feedback. But like Spencer, you should always ignore feedback. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that only... No, you have to stay true to your idea. Yes. Don't let other people's feedback change what you're trying to do. Take it. Listen to it. If they're saying this game isn't fun, 
you know, if you hear that from 10 people, maybe the game isn't fun and you need to change something. If you hear it from one person, but nine people are like, oh, this was really great. Maybe it just wasn't their cup of tea. Yeah. Well, I think the danger is people who are giving feedback on a game, especially if they have any inclination of game design themselves, are going to start designing their game instead of helping you design your game. So it's just you have to be careful with it. Yeah. And I Spencer actually has his own game that he has been throwing about. I don't think he's as far as me, though. He doesn't have written rules. Um, (laughs) It is a competition. Yeah, it's a competition. I, You know, actually, I bet we would both finish our games if we made it a legitimate competition. We should just make a game out of game design. Is that where you're doing? Yeah. It's a Euro game. game. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Euro game until you get it to market. And then it's just all random rolls as to how many sales you get, because there's no way to predict that. Well, I would win because Spencer's theme, it's a World War One themed trick-taking game, which just, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it, he's actually got some really cool ideas, too. So it's it's a fun thought exercise, even if nothing ever comes of it. It's still fun to do. Yep. All right. Let's see. I put a couple bullet points in here. I think we've touched on everything. Um, modifying existing games is something I put on here. If you are... We talked briefly about house rules, but if you're if you're looking at an existing game and you just add a house rule here and there and you're like, if I change this, it's more fun, that is a form of game design. And don't sell mm-hmm. it short and don't think it's it's uh you know just cheap. If you go on BGG, there's an entire forum for every single game called variants. And this is what yeah. people do is they go in there and give a variance. And I'm gonna make a shout out to um the Dragon's Tome, which is a YouTube channel, which is hilarious and does exactly this essentially what he does is he teaches you how to play popular games with a completely different rule set (laughs) such like absurd rule sets but still the games i believe would actually be fun to play and that's that's the dragon's tome and it's tomb 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 how what's the difference between tome and tomb is tome have any in it a book (laughs) <laughs> One's the place where you go and die. But spelling One has wise. a B in it. All right. Yeah. Tomb has a B. Tome is an E. All right. Yeah. Tomb. One, one you raid and one you read. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the one you're going to raid. So anyway, check it out. It's hilarious. How he plays code names, just insane. But the quick of code ma- names is the goal of code names as he teaches it is to turn all the men into women. It's it's so good. Um, and trust me, it's it's not a feminist thing at all. It's hilarious. And how he approaches it is amazing. So um, let's get to some listener mail. Let's see. Fletcher, you should go first this week. Okay. <laughs> I will go first. So a concerned citizen emailed us because she's crazy. <laughs> I can't believe Kitty didn't mention Odin's Ravens as one of her favorite two-player games. I expect better from her. I blame Chris and Fletcher for this as well because they are better than this too a concerned citizen yeah sounds like yeah. a really smart citizen i should have <laughs> mentioned odin's ravens it's a great two-player game so much fun i have raved about it on this podcast so much i guess i just forgot that i need to mention Wait, but it's a great you game. raved about odin's ravens before <laughs> yes i did <laughs> the, that is the word i used <laughs> Yeah, so this came up, Kitty and I were recording the news, and she's like, oh, I completely forgot to mention those ravens. We got to mention them. I'm like, well, you're going to have to email us. We'll put it in listener mail, because otherwise we can't go back. We'll just forget. <laughs> so. so, yeah, I wrote myself an email. I liked it. 
Okay, so we have some feedback from Joe on BGG, also about two-player games. He says, I have a thing about two-player-only games. There's something about them that keeps me from purchasing them. I have a lot of these, or I like a lot of these games. Onitama, Seven Wonders Duel, Patchwork. However, I like options with my games, so I rarely buy just a two-player game. I like to own more, I like to own games that can play two to five and more if possible. I do own Keyforge and Star Realms, which are primarily two-player, and I love playing other games as two-players, but solely two-player is a tough sell for me. I have to agree with this for a while. I agree with the sentiment behind it, but I actually think a lot of games that say they are two-to-five-player games are really just two-player games, that they put a five on the box so more people would buy it. Actually... Though that's fine if they do that. It's worse when they go the other way. When a game is like a three to five player game, and then they make, pl- throw a two player version in there. Yeah. Because so, you have to be careful there as well. But for the longest time, I would not buy two player only games either. Because even though I typically play two player games, it just felt like it, that limiting factor is like, well, this is only a two player game. And I will say that Sydney and I, our two player games are Homeworlds and Keyforge. And we've played the Game of Thrones uh, LCG, which we really like, and Shadespire. We really like that one. Okay, so we have a fair number of two-player games, but they're the ones that you can keep investing in and keep getting more for, except for Homeworlds. But um, so for that, for some reason, that feels like it's easier to keep it fresh. But just a straight-up two-player game, we tend not to play them that often. So I, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Joe. But I, I personally am also trying to keep an open mind and do get more two player only games as well. Also, pick up Star Trek or Star Wars Rebellion because that is the most amazing <laughs> two player game ever, second to only Homeworlds. I like Homeworlds. We did a whole episode about this, Chris. <laughs> Read your feedback. <laughs> All right, fine. Jeff emailed us about playing against yourself. He says, "I'm a shift worker who has a wife." two dogs, and a four-year-old. I find it hard to play games as I don't have gamer friends and I work Oh, and work and family takes up most of my time. I recently discovered Keyforge and have been developing my own solo play games between two decks. I also have done this with Magic the Gathering and I actually kind of like the, his home rule on this. This is interesting. He goes, where the cards that remain in your hand at the end of your turn are shuffled back into your deck. Then you draw that many cards face down. Instants are played like sorceries, but cost one less. So just some minor tweaks in the way magic works so that your hand is always cycling and therefore your opponent never knows what it is. And there are no interrupts anymore because they just don't exist, but they're cheaper to play. So I think that's interesting. You have to build specific decks for this kind of play, but you're playing against yourself. So that would you can easily do that. Um, he does say when he finds an hour or two of time, when everyone is out is out or sleep, uh, that's when he usually plays. He says it's a great form of meditation and relaxation. So um, I have I got a new camera set up for my playing against myself YouTube channel. <laughs> it's I have like this oh awesome two elbow overhead tripod thing now. It's gonna make this so good. As soon as I have any kind of sleep or free time, I'm gonna make it awesome. Chris, you're starting this at the wrong time. You're just going back to work. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You had four months where this would it would be the perfect opportunity, but you're like, you know what? I need to do. I have a newborn son, and I'm just going back to work. I need to start another YouTube channel. <sighs> I, I I hate being bored. Actually, I love being bored. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. I figured 
if I don't you also have, hate having free time. That's that's <laughs> mostly true. It's just like oh, tomorrow. So tomorrow is um, a holiday, Monday. and that's in the U.S. and it's great. And I I've made plans to go to the game store to work on the game store app. So that's that is my holiday plans this year. But it will be fun, and I enjoy it, and I enjoy you're making a game store. It. You're making an app for the game store. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't mentioned this. Not to me. So I'm basically my local game store, which is the Gift of Games. Um, he has a discount card. So if you subscribe for $40 a year, you get 10% off of everything you buy there, uh, or most everything. And he also, we have a relatively small community. So he's gone around to a bunch of places in our our little town here. And you get discounts at all those different places. And then he gives a physical card. But he, he wanted to do, he's like, yeah, I want to do an app because I keep getting you know more places added, but the cards have only the places that I added when I first printed them out. I'm like, you know, I could do an app for that pretty easily. And he's like, really? I'm like, sure. And since I had the time off work, I'm like, this will also allow me to try out some new things with like just different technologies and stuff that I wanted to use. So I've been kind of toying around with that for a few months now. And so we have like a fully functional gift card well, not gift card, but um, discount card. Discount, yeah. Yep. And it reads from his point of sale system. And it there's a point system that you get points and stuff. So there's... Nice. It's kind of neat. So all pro bono, but I don't care. It's my way of supporting the local game store. But yeah. All right. Fun. You promised us an announcement. Okay. So Gen Con. Um, I apparently missed the submission date for events. And that's why... They had not okayed the event, but I didn't realize I missed it, but I guess I missed it by like three and a half weeks. I'm like, okay, how did I do that? Apparently too many projects, but I emailed them and they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, yep, yeah, you missed the the cutoff and that's why it hasn't been processed, but we are processing late events now. So we will get that taken care of. And they processed it and they put it on the day that I asked for. And I'm pretty sure it's almost in the exact same place as last year. So we are official for Friday at 6 p.m. At Gen Con, we were in the stadium in meeting room eight. So I don't know if it's the exact same meeting room, and you don't really need to remember that. If you get a ticket, it'll tell you where to go. But we are essentially in that's uh, what stadium is that? Oiler? Not Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, so of it's course. actually underneath the stadium, but it's kind of yeah. cool. So last year we had, I think we filled the room. This yes. year, I'm hoping we also fill the room. And if you're able to come, you're going to walk away with something because I have a lot of stuff that I no longer have room for. So that is all set and all cool. And those of you that have been looking for the event, you should be able to find it. Just search for a Tabletop Game Talk live and it should pop right up. Um, I think that's really all we have. Uh, I'll be at Origins on June 12th through the 16th. If you're going to be there, let me know. And... That is it. Anything else you guys have? Nope. Nope. All right. So next week, we'll talk about the Game Crafter, which is a super cool website, and talk about creating prototypes and talking about how to easily trick out your games with some extra components that you can get off of these game printing sites. So even if you don't want to make a game, you just want to make your game better, you can still utilize the information we'll give you next week. You can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Twitter at Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom, Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. 
Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, The SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Michael Ohl, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wing, Stefan Phillips, Caleb O'Brien. Jennifer Lingobet, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Swarchel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong. Christopher Vincent, Nate Flatfaz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Selander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Wesley Trailer, Tim Verning, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Emil Jewell Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, and I'm sorry for pronouncing her name incorrectly, Leanne Verhulst. That sounds good to me. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, Kitty, you're not a Game of Thrones Game of Thrones fan or a Thrones fan. Game of Thrones is actually a fun game, um, <laughs> which I own, but I am not a Game of Thrones fan now. All right, Fletcher, in a non-spoilery way, what did you think about the end of Game of Thrones? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> so you agree with the rest of the internet? Yeah, I I was. They could have done a lot worse, but I think the whole season would have to be slightly modified to make the last episode be able to be any better than it was. Uh, Let me put it this way. I didn't hate it. A lot of people hated it, and they hated almost the entire season. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was the easy thing and the predictable thing to do. Yep. I think that the reason, because they claim that nobody predicted it, I think the reason that nobody predicted it is because it was the most predictable thing. Oh, my God. Can I get off the call? Good night. Night.